three, two, one. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about HR outsourcing, about helping the homeless, and about the 22nd event of the Okotoks Business Association. This is the Mikey Show podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Mankey, your favorite local realtor and just all-around nice guy and podcast host. Pamela uh, Pamela Morgan is here today. Uh, she is the president of Key Instincts and the founder of Baby It's Cold Outside. Pamela, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it very much. So let's start with um, Baby It's Cold Outside, because I thought that was for uh, uh, dogs that were left in the cold or something like that, and that's not it at all. Uh, tell me a little bit about that organization. that You've been doing that for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So what do you do, and how do you do it? Well, we're, we're uh, gaining some great traction here in the Foothills community. We help out vulnerable citizens um, throughout all of southern Alberta. And how do we do that? We... Uh, we partner directly with Drop-In Center in Calgary, Mustard Seed, and Lethbridge Shelter. Okay. So they're great partners for us, and um, and within the community as well, we uh, we do essential drives, we do food drives, and we do clothing drives 365 days out of the year. Okay. So these food drives, do you do you manage the food, or do you do the food drives and donate them to a food bank? Yeah, we do the we do the food drives and we donate them locally to our Okotoks Food Bank, which we have great partnership with. In fact, out of probably twelve to fifteen charities throughout the foothills, we all partner incredibly well together, and that's a little bit of an oversight. I think that people don't necessarily know is how much we really take care of each other. Now, um, there's been on and off again, uh, the Veterans Food Bank. Uh, it started as something small, turned into something big with Dave Howard, uh, then collapsed <laughs> under the Legion, and now it's, it's being rebuilt in a, um, uh, at a new location. So it's, it's, it's back. Um, and there's a, a talk that there's about 150, I don't think there's actual proof of this, these are estimates, 150, 160 veterans in Calgary alone that are homeless. At least these are the numbers that I've been told. Um, uh, do you have any association with the Veterans Food Bank as well, or veterans in particular that are homeless? We don't, not particularly, but we do in partnering with these shelters in Calgary. Okay. So we, we give them up, um, clothing and uh, essentials. In your experience, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, 15 years. Uh, the Legion is saying that there is no veteran homeless problem. Uh, is, is essentially what they're saying. There's like th- maybe three or five is what they're saying. I personally know somebody that was uh, homeless for, for a number of months. Luckily for him, it was during the summer, so it wasn't so bad, but he was. Uh, we served together. Now, in your experience, uh, have you come across many veterans on, on the street? Um, is there a veterans homeless problem in, in, in your or is there any of them at all out there? I couldn't really speak to that confidently, Mark, but I could say I think there's a little bit of an overlap or um, misgiving, I guess, when it comes to when we think of the U.S. They have a, a, a huge veteran uh, homeless population. One in four, I've been told. Right. And uh, so we don't, we don't suffer the same, but we're also not the same size. We don't have the same population as the U.S., what I have been told um, through uh, executive bodies at different uh, shelters that I've gone to is 
there's actually more veterans coming from other countries, so from the U.S. Um, and from other, you know, further countries off. Not so much w- within our own uh, Canadian forces, but for sure it's still there. You know, I think it's kind of caught up in the mix. Uh, How has the homeless population um, been affected in the last 15 years in your experience? Is it higher? Is it lower? Definitely higher. Um, Last statistics that I've heard is uh, about 1,500 people per night per shelter. This is just Calgary. So if you just think of the Calgary drop-in centre and the Calgary mustard seed, it's 1,500 people that need a bed a night and they're over capacity. So given the Alberta economy, you know, we're one to two paychecks, a survey says, away from being in that situation. So unfortunately, there's... This last cold snap must have just been brutal. Bad, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we're very fortunate because right here in the foothills, our community is very aware of that. And, And now that we're getting a little bit more traction and there's more awareness that maybe it's cold outside is right here, People are, are contacting us directly. I've got a bag of clothes. I've got brand new boots I've never worn. So I really have to applaud right here in our community how much we, we take care of each other. <clears throat> Pardon me. I, I do also want to add that even though in Okotoks, we would say we don't have a homeless population, we do have, uh, or rough sleepers, you know, rough sleepers is somebody sleeping under a bridge and things like that. That's homeless. Right? That's homeless. We do have um, those couch surfers, things yeah. like that, right? Um, uh, you hear a lot more now about, you know, the young guys looking for a job, sleeping in the car. Um, has there been a spike in the last two years because of the sudden economic uh, for drop? For sure. For sure there has. Do you have a, uh, I'm not going to hold you to any sort of numbers, mm. but uh, do you have a, a rough guesstimate of uh, how much it's changed in the last or whatever the right amount of time is I, I would I'm curious about the last two years would you say it's like a 50 percent spike one percent I wouldn't want to really put my my name to a number or anything no, no, like no, that of course right not, but just uh, roughly uh, I would say for sure it's gone up at least I would say 15 percent to maybe 20 percent okay that's you know, significant you know people moving back home with their parents, you know, we don't see that. And the hidden homeless, right? So that's people, you know, flopping on a, on a buddy's couch and things like that, mm-hmm. trying to get their feet underneath them again, right? So, uh, you know, we went from um, the land of luxury, really, here here in Alberta, and, and everything was great. And when we bottomed out, um, for sure, that has affected us. And and, it and even the people that were diligent at saving... It doesn't last long when you're it, out of work. It doesn't last long. No. You know, when you have a mortgage and, you know, mouths to feed and, and all of those things, right? Yeah. i got friends in uh, the HVAC uh, uh, industry, and I had no idea how bad it was till last night. And I was talking to a, a good friend of mine, a veteran guy, who has been around forever in, in that field, well-respected, well-established, really good at what he does. And he said it is so thin. He's lucky to get any jobs, and like he's 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 doing okay himself. But he says it is so darn thin. Uh, one position that he applied for, which is a position that uh, in a good economy nobody ever wants, there were fifteen hundred resumes, fifteen hundred for one position mm-hmm. for a job nobody wants. Wow. Got another friend. He's um, a South African veteran and just a great guy, and. Uh, He's a journeyman HVAC guy. 
for love or money, he cannot find residential or commercial work, anything. He just can't find anything. And that's the norm out there right now. So capable working people with skills um, have to leave their trade and have to do something else. But Jesus, what? The uh, the jobless rate is, is, is crazy. It, it really is. And, and I think people would be surprised to know that a lot of that homeless population that, that sleeps at the shelter every night works 40 hours a work week. They get up in the morning. They go to their job. So they have full-time jobs they have full-time and jobs. they're homeless. Right. You know. you know what? I understand that. Uh, at the end of my first marriage, I was technically homeless. Um, I lived in a 20-foot uh, camper trailer in, in our yard. We had an acreage at the time, which we lost, unfortunately. I, I couldn't keep it going. But there's big events, and just because it doesn't affect one person doesn't mean it doesn't affect another person. Uh, my life collapsed because I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't emotionally hold my myself together. Uh, so I was a realtor back then, and, and my business collapsed because I collapsed, and you are your business. Right. I couldn't do it anymore. And um, for three years, I lived in a support home as a respite worker. So basically it meant I looked after a couple of develop- developmentally uh, uh, challenged adults. We're still great friends today with both those guys. Um, but I was rent-free. If I wasn't rent-free, I'd be in that trailer in somebody's backyard um, with, with no option because there's no way that I could uh, uh, pay the support payments that I was and survive myself. There was enough room for one or in my budget, not two. Absolutely. So uh, instead of choosing myself, I chose her and the kids uh, to give the, all the money to. And, um, and and yet people would look at somebody like myself and say, well, you're employable and you're skilled and there's all these things that you have the ability to do. Yeah, I can't do them right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and then you're done. But there's... Um, uh, what do you have to say? So to that, uh, what would you say about the stigma of homelessness? The, the idea that, uh, just work your bum, right? Work your bum, you're a junkie, mm-hmm. you know, you're obviously have some sort of addiction problem. Um, for sure that's out there, but it's also within our communities, right? Um, there's a lot of, uh, of mental illness out there. And when I speak to mental illness, I'm not just speaking to the severity of, uh, schizophrenia, things like that. I'm mm-hmm. also speaking to the guy that lost his wife from cancer and bottomed out. You know, he lost his job, lost the home, went into a depression, and it's it's all falling apart on him, right? So that's more of the story, you know. I it, In our uh, charity, Baby It's Cold Outside, we speak a lot about seeing seeing people and seeing them, not the situation that they're in, you know, and the circumstance that they're in. That we want people to to really look in the eyes of someone else and see that soul and understand they're just like anyone else. You know, they're just falling on a, a tough time. And uh, I'm a true believer, Mark, that it's a responsibility as being another fellow human being to help that person up, right? I think uh, uh, part of it is when people can't relate to somebody, then it's easy to just stigmatize them or, or write them off. But um, uh, to the idea of mental illness, I think a term change might not be a bad idea. For instance, um, I've been in therapy for two years for PTSD. I'm very open about it because it's, sh- it's an injury. And um, when people wrap their head around that, and I'm not talking uh, about 
I'm not calling it an injury because it makes me feel better because that's a scientific fact. Um, so when you call something an injury, well, why would I be embarrassed about an injury? And the other thing uh, about uh, uh, mental injuries as opposed to um, mental illness, not that one is better than the other or, or anything like that, but um, when you realize that there is such a thing as mental injury, whether it be PTSD or, or whatever, um, any kind of trauma-related response, nobody is insulated from mental injury. That can happen to anybody. Absolutely. Right? Because people think, well, that could never happen. There's no history of mental illness. I don't even know a schizophrenic. So, you know, uh, and then they can't relate to that. But mental injury, you can't control that. You know, that could be a car accident that you get in and you see your child die. You know, uh, mental injury. And, well, but I'm a strong individual. I'd get over it. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know what your tipping point is. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, A mental injury can cripple you for the rest of your life. And when I say cripple you, I mean a depression so bad you can't brush your teeth. Literally. Like you just can't bring yourself to to get out of bed. Absolutely. And um, (laughs) I'm I'm ranting instead of letting you talk. I'm taking it over. That's okay. But... um, uh, as far as the stigma, is that a part of, of what Baby It's Cool decide? Do, do you deal with the stigma part of it and trying to remove the stigma? If so, how so? Very much so. Um, uh, we're we're going to be doing a tra- the trade show in Okotoks this year, which is going to be great. We're going to start building some awareness there. We have fundraisers and, and just being out in, in the community all the time. Um, Anybody who knows me and knows anybody on my board, we, we talk a lot about uh, vulnerable citizens. We talk a lot about checking in on your neighbor. Um, that's super important. You know, you don't know what's going on next door. I, I grew up in a farming community between Vulcan and Nanton, and, and um, it was nothing for us. You know, whether there was a, a birth or a death or anything in between, somebody got a casserole. <laughs> and uh, we were always looking out for each other, right? Yep. You know, everybody helped each other. And we really need to get back to that. We need to get back to checking up on each other and just checking in on each other. What about social media with that? Um, you, you see somebody has a loss, so somebody puts a sad face emoji on, uh, on, on Facebook. Well, I think a casserole would be a little more helpful. <laughs> you know, like... Bring, pick, picking or up the phone. Pick, picking up the phone or... Uh, uh, a one-week coupon for HelloFresh, you know, it's like, here, we'll, let's take this off your off your hands for a week here. Right. Um, something like that, you know. Um, well, we've lost that with, with social media. Do you see that we're losing that? Or What's funny to me is that we have all of these different avenues of communication <clears throat> now, and we communicate less. We mm-hmm. actually, we're almost in that, becoming inept to having conversations like you and I are having today, to get to know each other, to get into each other's heads. You know, when we're saying to someone, hi, how are you today? Really ask, hi, how are you today? And be sincere about that. And if you feel that that person might not be okay, you know, just say, you know, you don't have to poke and prod at anybody either, but say, you know, I'm, I'm here if you want to chat, but be sincere about that, you know. It seems that there's more uh, division too, because it's difficult to get mad at somebody when you're face to face having a mm. conversation, but it's very easy to get mad at somebody on Facebook. 
you know, and, and get into an argument that you wouldn't otherwise get into if you're face-to-face. I had a couple of people I've been friends with for 20 years uh, because we disagreed about the about a term, just a term. Um, I think it means one thing. They think it means another. But it was emotionally charged for them. wasn't for me. But enough so that a 20-year friendship, I'm, I'm done. Uh, blocked. And, and not wow. just unfriended, but blocked. You know, uh, with a big rant at the end of it. They got so upset because we have a difference of opinion on the meaning of a term. That And that's all it was. Um that's really disappointing, isn't it? It is disappointing, yeah. but it's also, a, it's a bit of a filter, mm-hmm. you know, but that would not happen face-to-face. No. It would not happen face-to-face. Somebody would not get up and leave the room and say, I'm done with you. They wouldn't do that face-to-face, but on Facebook, it's easy. It's almost like sometimes I find we become a different entity when we're on Facebook, whether we become braver than what we really are, that we mm-hmm. would be face-to-face, or we can make ourselves look really good on Facebook. We can make our lives look pretty spectacular. Or we could make it look pretty bad, you know? There's been studies out, uh, the, the depression that comes along with social media. Um, I, I will get to a point where I don't have to actually physically go on social media myself. I'm going to get a social media manager or something. I'm just going to get off there. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it is depressing because of uh, something called okay not okay theory so okay being okay is relevant to how you see others you know like uh, if you're homeless and um and you're and you're under a bridge and it's 20 and it's it's the middle of summer and and you got a good blanket and, and and you're and you're fine you could say i'm okay because at least I'm not that guy that doesn't even have a blanket. So c- comparatively, right. you're okay. Whereas uh, somebody nice and warm in their house, you know, uh, that homeless situation wouldn't be okay. Everything's relevant uh, based on perspective for whether or not you're, you're, you're feeling okay. Absolutely. And there's, you know, to, to further that, there's people who are in bad situations in their house, in a domestic abuse situation, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, that are not okay and would take that next step to say, I, I want to sleep under the bridge. I'd feel safer there than I would in my own home, right? And for a lot of people, it's the alternative to suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, what are my choices? Eat a bullet or be homeless. And that is the choice, you know, and, and that would be the thought process in a lot of people's heads. And so when you see somebody that's homeless sleeping under the bridge, you can look at them, hey, you bum. Or you can look at them like, oh my God, a suicide survivor. Perfect example, Mark. Perfect example. You know, anybody who has an opportunity to go to one of the shelters, I really promote you to do that. Because the way the the volunteers and the employees of these shelters treat their clients, and that's what they're called as clients, is remarkable. There's so much dignity and respect um, it, it's really worth, you know, whether you want to go make a meal there, whether you want to just drop in and volunteer some time, they would love that. They would, they would love the support, but it's a real eye opener of this misconception that the people sometimes have. It is so counterproductive when you, um, uh, if you have an interaction with a homeless person and you call them down or say, why don't you just get a job? 
or or whatever the case is, or in, in ex- more extreme cases, somebody uh, cat calls them or spits at them or splashes them with the car on purpose or something to do be humiliating. Talk about getting kicked when you're down. You know, I mean, here's somebody that's already just just can't do it right now. You know, it may not be forever, but at that moment in their life, they just can't do more than what they're doing. They can't. If they could, they would. But if you can, but they can't. And so here they are um, at the lowest point of their life, and you're spitting on them, figuratively or literally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, now, who's higher on the social ladder there? <laughs> I would say the homeless person. Absolutely. You know, the person spitting on you is a piece of shit that you just you can't do that. Um, but but they do because they feel that they're in that they're superior in some way when it's exactly the opposite. I guess it's. Everybody has a story. A, a cop told me this once. Everybody. You know, that guy was a total a-hole. Yeah. Yeah, he was. But do you know his story? Have you ever been an a-hole? What's the backstory? Because the better you understand somebody, the easier it is to have some sort of empathy and compassion for them. And that's what we need more of. Uh, you know, you and I had a conversation recently about compassion, right? And, and I'm a bit of a compassion junkie, I guess. And I think there's, you just can't get enough of that, you know, looking out for each other. And, and again, back to seeing that person, you know, and not the circumstance they're in. Some of the nicest people I've met have been vulnerable citizens in the community. And, um, you know, uh, to be blunt, you want someone like me on the other side of that, if you're down on your times, mm-hmm. because you never know when you're, you're going to trade that spot. The greatest, um, the number one human emotional need, regardless of where, where you sleep at night, the number one human emotional need is affirmation. We all need that. We all need a sense of I matter. And that's what you have the least of when you're homeless. So the greatest gift you could possibly give anybody but especially somebody who's lacking it the most is what you said, the sense of I see you, you, not your situation. In uh, the movie Avatar, I can't wait for the next one. Mm. It's only been, what, 20 years since the last one? <laughs> like, that's a long time to wait for a sequel. Mm. But um, the, the, the big, most intimate thing that they do, they touch foreheads or whatever it is, and they say, I see you. I love that. That's that's their their like I see you, not the not your scars, not the mud on your face, not your clothes. I see you, who you are, your soul, your your essence. I see that and I appreciate and honor that. And um, I guess that's kind of what the word namaste is supposed to mean, mm. something like yes. that of the same ilk. But um, that is the greatest gift you can give anybody. And uh so instead of spitting on a homeless person, you know, how about taking time and, and, and have a compassionate chat and say, hey, I got uh, a spare uh, 20 bucks. Could you use it? You know, Absolutely. Uh, and if you got the spare 20 bucks and, and you're worried that they're going to go spend it on crack, then go pick them up a meal. Go get them coffee. Get them a sandwich. Get them something tangible then if you're worried about how your 20 bucks is going to be spent. Yeah. I think, uh, so the scammers out there, the panhandlers that are actually making a damn good income, um, I, I'm not tra- saying that that's happening in, in Calgary, but there are situations where panhandlers are actually doing really well. Sure. Um, uh, so what? 
you know, yeah. so uh, give anyway. And, and the odd one might not need it. Um, but I think that's exceptionally rare. I do too. And I just can't, I can't take the chance to decide who's worthy and not, you no. know, that's just not my place here, you know, in this, this thing called life. To me, everybody's worthy. What you do at the end of the day is, is, is up to you. You know, I just need to know that I'm going to be compassionate. There's a very pervasive uh, urban myth about, um, and it might not be a myth, but I think it's a misperception about um, the guy in the Cadillac. Oh, I used to give to the food bank, and then I went there one day. Oh, why are we there? But uh, I went there one day, and I saw somebody in a Cadillac. I've heard this exact same story so many freaking times. And it's always a Cadillac. It's not a Lexus. It's always a Cadillac for some reason. There's something iconic about it. But that's, it's always a story about a Cadillac. And this lady, well-dressed in a Cadillac, and she was loading up her trunk. with. And after I saw that, I never gave to the food bank again. I'm like, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, let, let's say that this story is completely accurate. I right. know, uh, and anybody listening to the show has probably heard the identical story, mm-hmm. right? Um, so let's just look at your logic here for a second. The most expensive house I ever sold uh, when I was a realtor in Sherrod Park was $1.14 million in the Estates Assured Park. We set a record for the high, highest um, uh, price ever sold in the Estates Assured Park at that time, whatever year it was, probably 2009, 2010. And um, so you would assume... Well, I just got you the highest price ever of any house ever sold in here, so you must be rolling in it. No, they had eight mortgages. I don't, I didn't know, I thought that was only possible on The Simpsons with more, you know, right. but uh, they had eight. And I personally lent them $80,000, which I got back after the sale of the house. Um, uh, less than what they promised, but anyway, I, I got squared up. Um, <laughs> These guys were so broke, they did not have a pot to piss in. They had a hell of a nice 3,800-square-foot house with uh, all kinds of bells and whistles, but they they couldn't afford it. They didn't know where their food was coming from, Uh, and they were driving beaters. So if they pull up in a Lexus, or if they're... it, It doesn't mean they're not broke, especially now. There are so many people that had money... Mm hmm and, uh, uh, and, and now don't, there are some stories, uh, at the previous veterans food bank of people showing up is that before they would, uh, give them the food. Well, do you got a car? Yeah. Sell it. Do you have a house? Yeah. Sell it. Uh, now, if those stories are accurate, these are the stories I've received. I'm mm-hmm. saying that they're hundred percent true or there's not another side to it. Right. Because I also talked to the other side that kind of verified that they actually are true. <laughs> These are the people that are actually accused of this. Um, but you're a douchebag. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't know their story. If somebody pulls up in a flipping Lexus, okay, feed them. Because you don't know. Most people are two weeks away from being broke, regardless of their income level. I have met people that make a million dollars a year consistently that have lost it all and, and, and have literally nothing, not even food. My parents growing up had at one point at a total of 16 hotels, motels. So that's a few wow. bucks. Yeah. Right. We lost everything. I watched everything I own get auctioned off in the driveway when I was 13 years old. Bye bye stuff, right. <laughs> you know, gone. And we lived in our, in our uncle's basement in our, their basement with our family of four and their family of six for 10 months. 
10 months living in their basement. One bathroom for the whole house. Wow. One bathroom. And uh, uh, so, oh, but you, you got, and dad did have a Cadillac, quite literally. You know, actually had two of them at one point. And um, you can't assume that that means you're okay. You just can't, you know, you can't. and 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 it's a, this right now in our economy is a great example of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even yourself being a realtor, you well, know, I'm starving you, right now, right? And 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 you're even seeing it from your clients, you know. They got to get out, and they got to get out fast, and they're willing to, you know, dump some some cash in order to do that. Um, we're presently um, selling my mom and dad's house as they move into assisted living, and you know you going to just take what you got to take, you know, to, to make that next step. On the, the flip side of it too, Mark, is there's, there's a real misconception that the rich keep getting richer. And, mm-hmm. and I really want to speak to that because being somebody who is the founder of a charity and I live a very nice life, um, which I've worked very hard for. Yeah, I sure have. Uh, there's a little bit of a misconception that, um, the, the rich keep getting richer. It's actually, uh, from my personal experience of 15 years, a lot of the what would be acclaimed the rich people are the ones that are opening their wallets, that are helping the next guy. So I really have to address that. You know, uh, I've had someone come to me recently who said, um, well, you know, the people that live, um, and anybody in Okotoks will, will relate to this, and uh, anybody who lives in, in the Cimarron, uh, Cimarron, Estates area in in Okotoks, they're untouchable. You know, they they, they won't they don't do anything. And uh, part of me wanted to say, uh, excuse me. <laughs> what do you mean by untouchable? I don't untouchable quite um, that they're they're a little bit snooty. That, okay. Right. And I said, actually, no. I I know a lot of people that live in the Cimarron area, and um, they're like anybody else from any other area, you know. Again, we're, we keep like putting putting labels and putting ourselves in boxes, and it's just not a healthy way to work, you know. And and I don't get that a lot, and but I do get that to a degree that people think people people who, that are jealous of others need to tear them down and find a way that uh, to to say why you are a bad person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a need to do. Um, it's an ego thing. Um, it's actually one of the things, love him or hate him, it's one of the things that Trump's up against, mm-hmm. right? Uh, is that, because uh, he's, the, uh, before he ran for office, he was the American dream. So, um, and, and that was touted in rap songs and everything else. Like, he was the icon. Um, and then he starts running for office. It, people are, are tearing him down because he's doing things and has things that they couldn't imagine. And uh, I've seen, but that's on any level, the extreme level there or the extreme level, uh, as an example, when I wrote my first book and it was published, I had no idea that people would be threatened by that or jealous because that's just not part of who I am. So when it started happening to me, it wasn't, uh, I didn't recognize it. I've just thought that was weird. Uh, why, why are you attacking me? Because I wrote a book. I don't get it. Um, but the idea was, well, you're now a published author. I see you as successful, which you don't make money writing books. No, you don't. <laughs> no, they, they cost you money. Um, they're a key that opens doors. But um, uh, people started cutting me down. And when I got my first nice car, I had a Jaguar for a while. Oh, my God. Uh, I couldn't get I, I had it for three months and I sold it. I'm like, I don't need this shit. 
because um, uh, the, uh, the people that, that I was running with, that they saw me as surpassing them when we started at the same point. Um, that's how they saw it. It's not how I saw it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I started getting cut down and, um, and insulted and my character being questioned and, and all these things. Well, you must be crooked if you can afford that jag. Mm. But the, the truth is, and uh, I'm, as you know, I started the Okotoks Business Association. I found that I was just running with the wrong circles. Uh, the circles that I am most comfortable with are people like yourself, entrepreneurs, people that want to support each other. So the truth is, within the business community, at least as far as uh, SMBs, small to medium businesses, mm-hmm. is that um, they tend to be some of the kindest, most generous, giving, supportive people that, that I know of in society. Because instead of being jealous for others, you're like, hey, right on. They're applauding you and patting you on the back. Absolutely. So the, the reputation of business owners and the reality are two different things. Uh, oh, one thing we're going to do, uh, Pamela, I didn't expect it to now because we're at uh, 32 minutes. So this seg- we're going to do segments. Okay. So this segment is on homelessness. Okay. And then uh, we'll, we'll wrap up uh, homelessness and then I'll, I'll stop it and then I'll do a second segment. And I'll publish all, all three of them um, uh, separately. And if anybody's still living, uh, listening, um, after homelessness, we're going to talk about Key Instincts, which is Pamela's company and, uh, and, what, and what they do. And the, the last segment will be on Okotoks Business Association because uh, she's doing a presentation here on March 14th. Uh, that's our 22nd event. So uh, back to uh, homelessness. What are we missing? What, what, what do you want to leave the audience with? Uh, again, just check in on each other, you know, and, and know that we're all in this, this thing called life together and uh, be compassionate and, you know, whatever that looks like uh, to you and however you want to be treated, um, somebody else wants to be treated the same way, you know, so check in on your neighbors, make sure that your family members are okay and um, just take that moment to really you know, open your heart up and, and, and know that we're in this game together. So how can somebody uh, help and support Baby It's Cold Outside? You can con- uh, contact us on our Facebook page or um, on our website. You most certainly can always give me a call at 403-660-3648. What's that number again, Pamela? Sorry, 403-660-3648. And uh, leave me a message if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate um, any items. Spring is coming, believe it or not, folks. I'm I'm a believer that the sun is going to shine and you want to clean out your closet and and you know those gentle items could go to somebody else in need. Please, you know, reach out to us and we'll take care of that for you. Um, I will note um, we do have a 10-year goal and that will be transitional housing right here in the foothills. So uh, taking somebody to that next level and uh, offering a hand up. So we, have, we live in a great community. You've proven this time and time again, and there's no one more um, honored to be part of this community. So I thank everybody in, in Alberta and in our Foothills community for, for offering us a hand up and helping others too. Well, my friend, thank you for what you do and, uh, and for the people that you help. This is the first segment of the Mikey Show podcast with Pamela Morgan talking about homelessness. Please tune in to our next two segments.
Radio Podcast.